everybody out there listening, a very warm White Cat welcome as you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. White here. What's going on, everybody? This is episode 14 of the White Cat Outdoors podcast. Uh, hope everyone's still staying safe and practicing your social distancing with all this corona bull crap going on. Sure, everyone's really enjoying that, but the great outdoors is never closed, so you can always get outside. So, let's. Uh, who, who's sitting at the table? We got the shape master over here, Tom Sobolewski. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. And we got the other guy over there, Nick Sobolewski. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And our guest in studio today is a guy that you've already met before in a previous episode. It's my father, Frank Myers. Good evening, everybody. So, yeah, what we're talking about today, basically, we're going to just. Uh, Give a rundown of since show season just ended. We're going to talk about booking hunts, you know, different things you can do for preparing for these hunts. And then we're going to talk about some DIY stuff towards the end. So we're basically just going to give a big rundown of different hunts to plan, how to go about doing it. So, Uncle Frank, you've been on the other side of booking hunts and scheduling hunts for quite some time now. Uh, maybe you want to go into a little bit of insight on, you know, you've gone to the show, you found a few hunts that you're interested in doing um you know you've talked to the guys now i'm assuming maybe there's a follow-up call after the season when you decide that's when you want to go maybe start from there you've made the phone call you've decided where you want to go um and then now move into all right um what do i what do i need for the hunt um what's it going to cost that kind of thing well probably you know if you've chosen where you're going to go all right and you've, you've picked out your outfitter or, or the hunt that you're going to do. And and I guess for now, let's concentrate on assuming that you're going on a guided hunt. Yeah, that's, right. that's fair. All right. Uh, my, my advice then is, is talk to your outfitter. And he, most of them are going to have a list of items to bring. And this is probably where more guys get into trouble than anything is, is that outfitter is going to hand them. Here's what you need to bring for your seven day hunt or your 10 day hunt or your 14 day hunt. And inevitably, people will show up with twice the amount of gear that was on that list. Yeah, definitely. And, <laughs> and, and I can't begin to count the number of times we've gone into the field, day one of a moose hunt, and we'll just call it moose hunt. We'll say that's your expertise, so we can definitely, yeah. we can sugar, or like, yeah, I mean, stay I'm, on that path, yeah. but it, it's a generalization. This is a generalization, hunts. correct. So, but day one, we're, wait, everybody's anxious, we wake up, it's three hours before it's going to get daylight, and everybody's packed and ready to go and they're eating breakfast and they're standing by the boat before you know the sun even starts to come up and they have got a backpack that they've brought down to the boat for what's going to be at best a one-day hunt if not you know possibly you know a lot of times we might be doing a, a five or six hours in the morning and maybe take a break in the afternoon and do another four or five hours in the evening something like that but they will inevitably have 50, 60 pounds of gear stuffed in this little backpack that they swear they've got to have to get through the day. Well, and you're carrying that pack for them. That's part of well, what the guy does. No, I, well, no, I have the gear that they need. Oh, so you, you, you bring everything. The, everything they have is extra. I mean, beyond a pair of binoculars, their rifle, ammunition, and a knife, uh, you know, maybe you want to have your raincoat in your pack, you know, but. Uh, yeah, you the, don't the, need to carry that much. I stuff mean, I, I've had guys literally. I've had guys come out that carry a full change of clothes down to their boots in that backpack. Now, I'm not quite sure why they thought they needed it all, but as the hunt progresses, 
by day three, half of them are carrying an empty backpack. It's got some snacks in it, maybe a sandwich for lunchtime. You know, but if, if guys you just learn to listen to that list of things that they need to bring and understand that, you know, if you've if you've done your homework and you've chosen a reputable outfitter who's got reputable guides, all that extra stuff you're carrying is already gonna be there. You know, so make make mm-hmm. your traveling a little more simple. Make life while you're hunting easier and uh and listen to that list of, of gear that the outfitter tells you to bring. You know, if he tells you you need to bring, you know, a pair of rubber, knee-high rubber boots, then bring a pair of knee-high rubber boots. If he tells you you need a pair of hip boots, you better bring a pair of hip boots. But if he tells you you don't need hip boots, well, then there's no reason to bring two pairs of hip boots just in case one gets a hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's always like a running joke up there with, you know, all the guides up in Alaska that, you know, we're up there for two months getting ready for moose season and stuff, doing different things. And we bring, you know, 60 pounds worth of gear, including our gun case, guns, you know, everything that we have for the two months to survive up there. And the clients that come in have twice the amount of stuff we have for a 10-day moose hunt. It's like, how am I surviving for two months <laughs> on this much? And you have twice what I have for not even half the time. Yeah. It's so so learn to learn to take the advice of your outfitter that you chose. Bring what you need. You know? Not only just like you said on a day to day basis out into the field, but when you're packing to go up there because it's going to cost you more money in the end on the plane when you overload Absolutely. your bags. So Absolutely. Yeah, you got to pay attention to how much you're putting in. We had a guy this year. His gun case weighed over a hundred pounds. It was yes. insane how much yep. stuff he had packed into his gun case. Yep. It was, and and in the end, one of the biggest things he had loaded in his gun case and in his duffel bags was candy yeah he had about 50 pounds worth of candy of candy snickers bars uh milky ways power bars uh, granola bars so only the bars. essentials of course yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i mean and he did i mean it was we, we couldn't believe how much really junk food that he brought up that was stuff that's already supplied in camp. I mean, we've you know our outfitter already had candy bars and power bars and breakfast bars all in camp. All the food you could ask. All for. the food you needed was there. So to lug up an extra, you know, 30, 40 pounds of junk, of junk yeah. that in the end gets left behind because they don't want to fly home with it now. <laughs> yeah, so and it even, ends up yeah. just becoming property yep. of the outfitter at that point. Yep. Yeah. And every year we get boots left behind, coats left behind, gloves left behind. All kinds of stuff gets left behind because when the guys are going home, now they really don't want all that weight. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing amount of gear gets left back in camp that uh, they were because now, they, now they're conscious of of how much it's going to cost to fly back with this extra 50, 60 pounds of gear that they really never needed to have in the first place. Yeah, and even beyond just like saving money, um, like if you're going somewhere like Alaska or somewhere where you have to take a little hopper plane, there's like a restricted amount of weight. Absolutely. Regardless, it's not like, well, if you want to bring that, it's going to be an extra 50 bucks. It's like, no, that's not going on the plane with you. So I think that's another thing. Like that's why that list is created. And I've seen that. I've seen bags left, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, Back that, on the that list is created, so if you only bring those things, you can yes. bring, that's going to fit on the plane. If you yes. start loading other crap that you don't need, it could yep. get left there. Yes. Talk talk to your outfitter. He'll give you a list of what you need and heed what he, his, his advice to you, you know, regardless of who it is. Yeah, and a lot of that overpacking comes from just people not knowing what to expect. So Correct. as long as you do ask either people that you know have been up there in the past or talk to your outfitter – 
you'll have a really good idea. Like in, you know, the first couple of times I went up, you know, I overpack for stuff just, you know, not like a lot, but you know, I go up there for the two months that I'm up there and I have, like I said, I had 50 pounds worth of clothes and stuff. And even that was too much. I realized that I had, you know, overpacked and, you know, I've had somebody who's been going up there for 20 years telling me what to pack. So you can still get a little carried away even when you know what to bring. So just the more you talk to people to figure out, okay, this, these are the essentials of what I need. And that's basically all you need are the essentials. Because if you're going with a good outfitter, they're going to supply you with all of the things that you're going to need throughout the hunt anyway. Yes. Yeah, like I've experienced that like on a little bit smaller of a scale, like even going up to hunting camp for you know, the rut for a week. Like when I was 12, 13 years old, I would bring a suitcase full of clothes. And then, you know, midweek I realized that I'm still in the same jeans that I showed up there with and my suitcase hasn't even been opened yet. Yeah. So, I mean, this is seven years later. Now I go up there with like a drawstring bag of underwear, socks, and a extra pair of jeans just in case my original pair gets wet. Well, so. And you mentioned the two most important things. If you're going to bring extra socks and underwear yeah you know that's the only place i'll ever recommend that you splurge you know especially with the socks because if you don't keep your feet in shape it'll make your hunt miserable your hunt will get miserable fast real fast nick you have a little story of not having prepared yourself with socks before a hunt don't you well i mean that was a one-day hunt i wasn't really expecting much but uh yeah we were uh, heading down to allegheny state forest in pennsylvania on a turkey hunt and the socks I threw on must have had a hole or something or already worn out pretty good. And um, we were heading pretty deep in. And I understand, like, you can't go more than five miles in one direction in PA without hitting a road. But there was a lot of curves and bends in our deal. Um, and we were a couple miles in uh, where we wanted to set up for our first spot. And by about a mile and a half, I had worn through my sock. And... And you had on a real good pair of steel toe boots for yeah, the walk. Yeah, for a long time, I didn't splurge on boots. I said, I will hunt in the same boots I work in because, you know, being in high school, you don't have a ton of extra money, so you got to kind of make a dual-purpose deal out of them. Uh, so, steel toes make a great dual-purpose. Yeah, so I was using those and wore right through them, and we still had all day to hunt turkeys. And by the time we got back to the truck, we had done one of those, uh, like a line on onyx where it tracks your mileage and it was just under 11 miles that we had walked that day and i pulled my heel or my boot off and my sock and it i mean it was like dripping blood like it wasn't just like worn through it was like right into the meat it was pretty rough painful as well but and those things only get worse day two and day three as i said that was a single day that's the day that it was going to be the most comfortable the day you did the damage after that It's just going to get worse. every night it heals a little bit, and then you break through that. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, pack extra socks and yes. underwear and for sure. And good socks, not crappy socks. <laughs> oh. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, talk to your outfitters. You know, pay attention to what they tell you to bring. They're going to have the big stuff. Anything you need for packing out animals, they're going to have. You know, they're going to have the knives, the saws, if you need something like that. Are they going to have your, like, hard frames and that kind of stuff for backpacking, or does that kind of depend on your hunt? Most of them will. Uh, And, again, it will probably depend a little bit on the outfitter you choose. And that's why I said it's, it's very important to, you know, you spent the time and chose this guy. Hopefully you chose the hunter or the outfitter that you chose because you did all your 
due diligence and homework to find out that this guy is going to be prepared for you in the field. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to go with an outfitter and he tells me that, uh, you know, I got, I got to be prepared to do, you know, all this packing on my own. I got to have my own knives, my own saws. I got to have my own backpack. You know, I'm going to start asking myself in the back of my head, well, what, what am, I, what am I paying for? You know, and that does uh, some of that would be it could change if you're doing like a semi guided hunt or a fully yeah guided. we're correct yeah, fully guided correct. right now that's you, know, you would expect so yeah, to I'm, have that stuff right. provided yes exactly you know I'm gonna assume if I'm going on a fully guided moose hunt that when I get there uh, there's gonna be additional personnel in camp to help pack this thing out you, you put a 1500 pound animal on the ground well. I don't know too many individual men that are going to handle that thing all by himself and get them out. Tie your dragon rope to woods it. and uh, you know, and back to the boat on a. Be hilarious you know, to bring a like a drag mi- rope <laughs> just to see what that guy does. You know, yeah, like you tie that down, off around his back <laughs> leg. Like pull that out. Like that'd be one thing I might splurge extra just for the humor <laughs> side of it. But. You know, but uh, but yeah. So it's like I said. It uh, pay it. You know, talk to your outfitter. Talk to your guides if you can. You know, just because you booked an outfit. Uh, your, your hunt with a particular outfitter, that doesn't mean that that individual is going to be your guide. Or at camp at all. You or, may never even meet him again. Well, or, you'll probably meet him. Most, okay. most places, the the outfitters are expected to uh, make an appearance. At least some, make an appearance. And yes, be there you know. to sign it, paperwork. In, in, the oh, state, okay. in the state of Alaska, at least, uh, the outfitter has to shake your hand in the field. So, okay. Uh, you I have, did not you, realize yeah, that. You will have to meet him at least one point in the field. Uh, even though you may be working with one of his guides or assistant guides or something like that, but uh, you will meet your your outfitter in the field in in the state of Alaska, and and I think most reputable outfitters are going to operate along those lines well, as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, you know? if you're an outfitter, I'd assume you're very passionate <clears throat> about the Correct. animal you're targeting. Correct. So you'd want to be out in the field anyway. I mean, yes. if I had a guide service in Alaska, I'd probably take full advantage of having to go to Alaska every week or every season to go meet the clients and that thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. So once you've um, talked to your guide and put together your list, um, what kind of additional costs might you encounter besides like your price for the guide? Like right. that doesn't really <clears throat> cover your plane tickets or anything, does it? In, in most cases, not again, uh, every, every outfitting service may be slightly different. They may have different, that, why a lot of times where you'll see large variations and why is one outfitter uh charging me five thousand dollars to go on an elk hunt uh, in idaho and another elk hunters charge me what appears to me to be the same hunt but it's eight thousand dollars well maybe one outfitter included a few more perks in that in the cost of that hunt so you got to kind of really watch that is when you're when you're checking out your pricing and stuff like that so but typically uh when you when you write that check to an outfitter you've you've covered the cost of the hunt it doesn't usually include licensing it doesn't usually include tags uh your travel expenses to and from a point in the state you're hunting uh you know a lot of the even if you're doing an elk hunt a lot of outfitters will meet you at a town that they're going to pick you up and from that point on your costs are covered Okay, and taxidermy is obviously not covered. Taxidermy is well. all on you. Yeah, that's always going to be on you. A lot of times, getting your uh, trophy back home isn't covered. Okay, so okay. if you had to fly they, the meat home, or if something. You, right? If you're going to fly meat home, that's going to be an additional cost. Uh, 
if you're going to take, uh, you know, most of the most of the outfitters are going to get your trophy, meaning the antlers and usually the cape, uh, back to a certain point of travel again. You know, maybe where they picked you up and met you. Uh, maybe it's just going to get you back to your truck that was parked at a Gas hotel or, or whatever. <laughs> exactly, you know. But but from that point on, it's going to be expected of you to to incur all those extra expenses for getting that home. And if it's a plane flight. You better have talked to your uh, airline. airline prior to going on the hunt. Don't wait until you have 600 pounds of meat and a set of antlers and a cape sitting on a beach someplace along a river to go, well, how am I going to get this home? You know, yeah. you need to make sure you have that, that program in place prior to going into the field. You know, some airlines will let you take the antlers back as extra luggage. Uh, most anymore don't, uh, as far as bringing moose back from Alaska. Uh, I definitely think that's like one of the biggest things that people overlook is bringing trophies back home. If you took a plane to go where you're going, because it's, it's not like you're going to throw a moose into your, you know, it ain't fitting in your duffel bag. Yeah. (laughs) We knew a guy that put a a bear skull into his bag. I thought you talked about a guy that had a cape that he, you told me about somebody that took a cape home on the plane. Yeah, I don't remember. Did he have the cape and the skull? I thought you talked about like in like one of those like the suitcases I've, I've, above. I've brought uh, brown bear skulls back in my carry on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what I say. Yeah, his carry on. Frank was saying yeah. something about a skull yeah. or a, a hide yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like you said, you you want to talk with your airline, you know, and and set up a program. I mean, like especially if you're doing meat, are you going to ship back raw, unprocessed meat, or are you going to have it processed? somewhere near wherever you're hunting you know i mean if you're elk hunting in montana do you want to find a way to keep all that meat cold all the way back here to pennsylvania or wherever you're from or do you want to go to a local processor that's close to where you're hunting out there uh you know so you you'll want to you'll want to cross those bridges prior to getting into the field you know that should be part of your early planning you know before you even travel is make sure you've got some kind of program in place some phone numbers with you uh make sure you got your credit card with you (laughs) so that uh so that you can take care of those items now in all the years that you've traveled back and forth from pa to alaska has there been any airline that you've worked with that seems to be the most forgiving when it comes to hunting trips and bringing trophies back i mean if you don't it's fine i was just curious if there's ones to boy when, when we first started going up literally every airline out there would let you bring back moose antlers and you didn't have to split them all you had to do is make sure the points were covered with like maybe some garden hose or cardboard and duct tape just something so they weren't poking holes in mm-hmm. everybody else's luggage and the last time i looked into it and it's been a few years now delta airlines was the only one left that was still letting you fly with your antlers as extra luggage most so, most everybody's making you UPS ship them, or yeah, you ship them somehow, and then obviously ground's going to be your most in, inexpensive way, but it's going might take you a couple of months to mm-hmm. yeah to from get Alaska. Back. So, but uh, and I can remember guys, you know, early on what they would do, we'd get two or three guys from a given area. They'd kill. They'd all get. They'd all kill their moose, and they had stuff they wanted to ship back, and maybe they wanted to bring some meat back with them. So what they would do is they'd, they'd go to the local processor, an expediter uh, that was close to us at the time, and they'd put all their antlers in one crate. 
okay, on a pallet. They'd throw all their dirty clothes, all their hunting gear, everything that they knew they weren't going to need for a while, went in that crate. And they shipped it back and pulled their, their resources and then uh, took their meat back as their luggage. That's actually yeah, a that's bad idea. Which saved them a ton of money because they could take the, you know, at that time, the fir- your first two bags were free, you know, years back. But, mm-hmm. uh, but like I said, all that stuff keeps changing on a daily basis. Yeah, and, especially with airlines you know that stuff with security and different things their rules are changing all the time that stuff you really got to research and stay yes. up on before I mean, you go tra- traveling with your firearm today you know oh yeah one, one airline wants you to have your gun and ammunition stored in one manner another airline will have something else tsa will want something different yeah <laughs> nobody's <laughs> ever on the same page you know we actually had one of our guides was flying up one year and uh put tsa approved locks on his gun case and the tsa agent in charge of things at the one airport that he had to cross through uh fly out of would not accept his locks because she was able to open them without him being around he's like they're tsa approved locks i bought them right at the airport said tsa approved she wouldn't accept them he had to go had to leave the airport seems like that some of them just want to be a pain in the ass with hunters and maybe so but the long and the short of it is those are the kind of th- obstacles you can run into today. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a problem this year going up, well, last year going up. Uh, you, I guess some airlines or most airlines want you to have your ammo in a factory box. You can't just have them in a oh, sleeve. Like in a, or, in like, or a reload? Yeah, you can't. Have, no, okay. you can't have them in a reload thing. Okay. It has to be the factory box that you bought it in because I just I had some that were in a plastic like reload container and then I had some other ones that were just in a sleeve and I had them in my gun case and I they opened it up and they wouldn't approve it and they were like, "Oh, we can't let you, you know, fly with this because it's not in the factory box that it came in." And I was like, "Well, you know, I I don't know what you want me to do here like just throw it away then i guess he's like well let me go talk to my manager here and figure out what we can do so he walked back and got him he came out the guy looked at you know what i had sitting there the sleeve was the thing they were most concerned about because it wasn't actually in any sort of box it was just the sleeve of ammo so he like disgusted turned around walked into the back and i was just kind of standing there like uh what what do we do now (laughs) and he grabbed like a small piece of cardboard walked back out and like threw it at the guy that was giving me a hard time he was like make him a damn box (laughs) and i was like okay then apparently that's allowed so you you really never know what you're going to run into as far as that goes but do as many things as you can to get it into your favor with the factory boxes and stuff like that so give them fewer reasons to give you a hard time yeah we i mean this is obviously this is probably a rarity but when we were down my dad's looking at booking an elk hunt and there was one down in New Mexico he was really liking. And uh, the guy had actually had a sister in Altoona. And he said, well, if you if you come with us and you get an elk, I'll transport your trophy and meat back free of charge. I'll just schedule a trip to go and see my sister because Altoona is not far from us in Erie. Right. When you look at New Mexico. So, I mean, like, yeah. there's <laughs> it's weird connections you can make in the hunting industry, which I've seen all over the place. Um, even, I mean, guys you've met. Uh, up in Alaska and then where we shoot in Sagertown, that guy's got connections all over the place from guiding whitetail hunts and whatnot. So I think, like you said, just be prepared and expect curveballs. <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that said, you know, sometimes it might sound like we're bashing the airlines and TSA and, and, and in the grand scheme of things, 
I honestly feel that it, it's actually pretty easy to travel with your firearms. Yeah, no, like that, what you I know, just said, that story I just told, that's the most trouble I've ever had. Yes. And it was, you know, yeah. 10 minutes out of my time. It wasn't like I was like, oh yes. my God, I'm about to miss my plane because of these people. It was like, correct. yeah, whatever, you know, it's, everything's cool. Yeah. yeah, but for the for the most part, if you talk with your airlines, I mean, the, the snafus, the problems are, are minimal. They actually do make it pretty pretty cordial experience traveling with your firearms they really, really do so before we get all the airlines mad at us yeah <laughs> <laughs> no like you said it's i don't i've never had to fly with firearms and stuff so i really can't speak yeah. on that much it's, it's really not as difficult as you'd expect no it's not at all so. i've had people get a hold of me because you know i fly with firearms quite a bit and i did a lot when i was shooting you know people get a hold of me they're like you know what do you have to do before you fly with a firearm i'm like i I don't, I don't understand what you're asking me. Like, I got to walk up to the gate. <laughs> yeah, you just walk in there. It's just another bag. They yeah. just look at it a little bit closer. You don't have to fill out any paperwork yeah. or anything. You just sign put off. it on the plane. Yeah, yeah. You sign a piece of paper saying that it's on. So you don't have to call ahead of time and let them know that you're bringing a firearm into nope. the airport. Nope. You just you show up with it. Case. Show up yep. with it. Yeah, don't walk in with it in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to fly with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, walk up to walk up to the to the register there. So. Mm-hmm. And another thing that you mentioned that I want to get into because I we had a problem with this years ago when I went up black bear hunting. You were talking about license and tags and stuff. That's something that a yes. lot of people up in Alaska, especially because once you get out of town, you are in the middle of nowhere. And I don't know how much it is anymore with different outfitters, but back when this particular thing happened not every outfitter was able to sell license and tags in the field anymore. I feel like pretty much everyone, most of them do, but not all. Yeah. You know, I know another guy, we your research. Yeah. The guy we work for can sell them in the field. So if you get out into the field and you don't have a license, he can just write you one right there in the field. Or if you, you know, need another tag, if you shoot something on the first day and you decide, I want to, you know, tack a bear hunt onto this moose hunt he can just give you a tag right there and sign off and, you know, you can get it situated there. You don't have to go back to town. But we had a couple of guys when I went up on my black bear hunt on the Tanana River that didn't ask any questions about license and tags or anything. They landed in Fairbanks and then got on a, I think they came in on a float plane, didn't they? Uh, or did they come? No, they came, they came down and by boat. Yeah. Paul dropped them off by boat, but I remember seeing Paul's letters to them. Yeah. And he did tell them to buy your license and tags. In prior in, the, the license, he told them to get it before you even come up here. You can buy it online. You can get all yeah. that stuff online. Yeah, that's another thing to look into if you, you can know? buy it online. And, before and again, you. it's just one of those things. Be as prepared as you can when you get there. You know, do your do your homework. Listen to, pay attention when your guide's telling you, you need to buy this, you need to buy this, you need to have this. Yeah. He's not just telling you because he wants to sound important. He's telling you because it's things you're going to need. Yeah, so these guys come into camp, and, you know, we're, you know, in the middle of nowhere now, not anywhere near town. And, you know, they get up on the bank. You know, we're taking all their luggage and stuff out of the boat, you know, talking about what the game plan is. You know, we're going to start hunting tomorrow and stuff. And while we're talking about this, the one guy goes, so uh, where do we get our hunting licenses? And we're like, what do you mean? Like, you don't have the hunting license? He's like, well, no, I, I, I figured we could just get them right here in camp. And we're like, no, you just have head to. down to Dick's Sporting Goods down the river a bit. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> where, where we were at was an hour and a half ride from Fairbanks by vehicle 
to get into a boat that was another two and a half hours downriver in a boat. So, and that's in perfect condition. Saying your boat that's, doesn't break that's down. That's assuming everything went fine. <laughs> yeah, Correct. Which it never does. You know, so now these guys want to go hunting that evening. They have no license. We've got to turn around, boat ride. Yeah, I was in seventh grade at the time, and you know, as soon as they came in, I was like, "You got to be freaking kidding me with these guys!" And he came walking over. He knew to have a license. Yeah, he, Dad came walking over to me, and he was like, uh, "I got to run these guys back to Fairbanks to get hunting licenses." He's like, "You can either stay here and camp by yourself, because it was just me and him in camp at the time." He's like, you can either stay here by yourself or you can come in the boat. I was like, there's not a chance in hell that I'm getting in a boat with you three to go up and down the river for no reason because <laughs> they were too Obviously, probably not the best environment because you're probably – those guys are probably pissed at themselves. No, oh, they no, were, they're mad, they're, no, they're mad at, at us. Really? Oh, of course. They could never I mean, their they, yeah, they Easier did, to be mad at you They didn't do anything themselves. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. was like, yeah, I'm definitely not right. going to go on this trip. So he runs them up river to fairbanks and you know i'm sitting there in camp now at this point now it's dark so it's an overnight stay in fairbanks yeah because you can't you're not going to come back down and run the tanana river in the middle of the night yeah exactly kill two people (laughs) (laughs) so the next day i'm sitting there in camp and you know i hear the boat coming so i you know go out to meet them at the river you know just dad shows up in the boat i'm like what's going on he gets to fairbanks and they're like you know what we're done with this. We're so sick of, you know, you, we got screwed. We don't want to hunt anymore. So he had to drive all the way back to camp, get their stuff, go all the way back to Fairbanks, drop it off to him, and then drive all the way back to camp. I was like, oh, my God. So, <laughs> what a week. And all of that. <laughs> yeah, it literally took four days because it's, you know, yeah. by the time you get to where you're going, mm-hmm. there's not enough time to turn around and come yeah. back. And, and all of it was because they didn't read the instructions. Like you said, in the given, letter that they were that given. were given to them by the outfitter, you know. So that uh, yeah, the outfitter fully prepared them. They just weren't paying close they didn't, enough attention. They didn't pay attention to what they were supposed to do prior to coming into the field. That's that's crazy that you could skip over that information. But <laughs> like so, I said, people do. Yeah. So. so once you've you know you've got your uh, you picked your outfitter, you've bought it, you've got there. Um, do we maybe want to go through just like a what to expect we'll, we'll use moose in alaska for an example but kind of what to expect for the week on you know hunting uh like just obviously you guys aren't going to restaurants to eat but just kind of break down what to expect once you've gotten there well if you're boy that's kind of long-winded but, uh, well <laughs> there's a lot of parameters a lot of variables there i mean especially depending, depending on the type of hunt yes i mean uh, yeah i guess t- it's pretty typically, tough to say a moose hunt in general yeah, t- typically for elk. typically what we do is a, a river hunt so you're moving around with jet boats and we do a lot of calling and and uh stuff of that nature uh some of the moose hunts you book may be more of a spot and stock type situation where you're hunting a little bit more terrain that has you walking ridges looking down into smaller creek bottoms and trying to glass for moose and and again usually some calling will come into place at some point in that as well but uh to you're, just, you're with your guide for the whole thing. If you're doing a fully yeah, if, guided, if you're doing it's a full, be... yes. If you're doing a fully guided hunt, again, we're, we're talking more about Alaska than most places because yeah, that's but what we're most. Familiar I would say with. most fully guided hunts would. You're with your guide. Uh, yes, unless your guide, it's like your a white tail where you're in a tree stand. Your, your guide's going to be with you, you know, or at least with an eye shot of you. you, know, you well, might, yeah, he has to might, call the shots, especially like on you know, yes, a moose. Correct, correct. So, you know, you might 
when you're calling, you might separate yourself by 50 yards or something just to help you hear if a moose is answering back. Yeah, you'd be surprised how easy it is to just hear things differently if everybody's not standing in a group. Mm-hmm. Because uh, no matter how many times you tell people, when I start to call, I need you to be quiet. That's when they go for the candy bar. <laughs> Every single time. You will make a call, and the next sound you hear will be a zipper. <laughs> Guaranteed. Got to get in the backpack. <laughs> I gave that and, a half a second. And, so. and that usually goes on for the first three days. And then I blow my stack and yell and scream and holler and explain to them that you're not allowed candy bars anymore. You're not allowed this. Lost I, candy I start throwing shit in the river. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I make a cow call, that doesn't mean you're supposed to spin in three circles and unzip your bag. <laughs> it means you're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> but so I guess we'll assume that you have you've killed a moose or something. Um, when it comes to the guide and the hunter, how much is like I guess on each one for you know processing the animal right, and getting I'm, it back to camp? In a fully guided hunt, there's nothing on the hunter. Okay. He's done his job. He pulled the trigger. All right. Now, it's been my experience that most of the guys still want to get their hands They want to be part yeah, of that. Yeah, they want to be part of that. You know, they came up. Most people come up to enjoy every aspect of it. I remember when I had my first whiskey, Tom. <laughs> you all right there, buddy? Yeah, I just went down the wrong pipe. Yeah, you can't breathe whiskey. <laughs> oxygen only, Tommy. A little yeah. mixture of oxygen, yeah. nitrogen, yeah. what else? Yeah, yeah, whiskey in the lungs, just... Uh, doesn't quite pan out. No. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. As but, you were uh, saying. Yeah, but on, on, if you booked a fully guided hunt, no, you, you shouldn't be expected to start packing that moose, you know, cutting that moose up and, and properly fleshing the, the hide and, and doing all that or kind like of stuff. Like when we go to North Carolina and stuff, you know, when you shoot a deer, they'll pull up with, you know, a four-wheeler. Yeah. Or they'll drag it for you, get it back to camp. <clears> and most outfitters say, you know, most of them that like I've dealt with and that we've dealt with, it's like, yeah, we'll do it all for you. Or, you know, if you want to help by all means, there, I've seen a few that it's like a, you know, $50 fee or whatever, if you want a fully processed animal for yeah. after you kill it. So it's, it's never much of an upcharge that I have seen right. for yeah. smaller animals anyway. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, and with the moose on a fully guided hunt, like I said, you're really not expected to do anything. If you want to pitch in and help, cause you want to be a part of that, that's great. Help is never turned Yeah, I mean, down. that's kind of how, like, I, I'm sure every, you've had all walks of life in camp. But for me, I don't think I could, the animal that I just killed, I don't think I could just sit back, you know, and kick watch. my feet up and just watch yeah. somebody else. Like, I'd want to be right in there. Yeah. And that's and that's it, 95% and of the people. That's kind of what you I know, and, and a lot of times the people that don't help, you know, maybe it's, you know, someone with some health issues or something, an older fellow. That yeah, just, that's fair. He just can't. He can't get in there and pack moose anymore and do it but but i promise you he'll want to hold a leg he'll want to do something help hold a game bag get it on he'll you know they're, they're gonna, gonna be, they're, they're gonna, gonna want to they can do what they can yep that very very few people over the years uh at least in my experience want to do the old shoot and walk away kind of thing mm-hmm. you know most of them want to be a part of all of it and then so. you're eating good in camp that night usually yeah. correct yeah uh I haven't had anybody that hoarded all their meat. They all, you know, we get back to camp and it's, straps tonight. it's green meat for the next few days and everything that comes with green meat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we all know where you're going with that. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's, a little but, side story. We do a lot of our own processing and I felt bad one time my buddy Jeremiah shot a doe and brought it down the house for us to process. And this was a big doe, probably 120 pound doe. And 
by the time we processed it and you know cooked up some meat, sampled different sausages and everything, we sent them home with like a little grocery bag. <laughs> that was his fault, though. He oh, kept okay. saying, "Let's try this. Let's try." I mean, there was a lot of guys at the house because uh, around here there's a lot of tradition that comes with hunting. And when somebody yep. gets a deer, anyone that you're friends with is like, "Where, where, where are you at?" Because we're coming. Right. <laughs> so everybody showed up, and Jai just kept having us, you know, throw the steaks on, throw the heart on. Oh, you, oh, you guys made some Italian sausage. I'd love to try that. You know, somebody's going to get buns, and next thing you know, like <laughs> whole deer's gone. <laughs> half, the, half the deer's been eaten. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that, that was awfully kind of him to pretty much <laughs> donate that and share it with us. But it was just a yeah, fun yeah. experience, little side story yeah. for you guys. Fortunately, we end up killing enough of them around here that if someone's yeah. short on meat, we can usually pass a little extra oh, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so. It sounds like we've you know pretty much covered what to expect on a fully guided hunt. You know, you've covered how to. Um, get you got in contact with somebody you selected mm-hmm. them you know what to bring what to expect kind of thing um do we i i don't know you actually you have a lot of experience too if you're deciding to go on a cheaper route um and go self-guided i'd like to talk a little bit about uh how to break that down because that's a very uh intimidating task i think for somebody that's never done it well i i think if you're going to start trying to do a do-it-yourself hunt i think you need to start by truthfully evaluating your own capabilities mm-hmm. uh you know over the years i've had to help a couple different people off the river up in alaska that thought they were going to go do a do-it-yourself rafting trip oh really you know? oh yeah okay and three days into their hunt realized they were in a lot of trouble and we just happened to stumble across them you know with their jet boats and uh <laughs> probably could have made some money off them because they were in trouble and they knew it <laughs> You know, but so know what your your abilities and your limitations are, and, and plan your do-it-yourself hunt accordingly. You know, don't uh, don't just Let's do your homework. Yes, don't jump yeah, in with both feet. Just because you're a good whitetail hunter and you're fully capable of doing a fully you know or a do-it-yourself whitetail hunt in your own in the state. Lower Forty-eight, yeah, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're going to go up on a moose <clears> hunt or you know go somewhere in Canada or wherever. Yeah. Well, even a, like a mule deer hunt is vastly different than hunting whitetails in Pennsylvania. Oh, and I think, like you said, you got to do your homework. You, really you can go out understand. west on a mule deer or elk hunt on a do-it-yourself deal, then you can still find yourself packing in 6, 8, 10, 12 miles. And if you're packing in that distance, and the next day on your hunt you slip on some loose rock, climbing up a hill and break a leg, what are you going to do? You know, mm-hmm. Did you stop and think about that before you dove into this adventure of a lifetime? You know, mm-hmm. You've got to really... Stop and think about everything that's about to take place and everything that could possibly take place. Yeah. So. Uh, so I guess it would, I do while while we're talking about like the DIY stuff. I know Frank and uh, Uncle Frank. I think you guys you guys both use Onyx, correct? Yes. Yeah, we yep. both um, do. Do you want to? I just started using it a little while ago, but I know you've got a lot more experience with. It. If you want to kind of break down what Onyx is um, and how it can help you for those DIY hunts, if that's what you're going for. That's probably better for you because yeah, I'm, I'm more old school. GPS style? No, like compass. just walk around. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're, we're older school. I mean, <laughs> I, I have I have a GPS. I have my Onyx and stuff. And honestly, my Onyx I use more than anything just for property boundaries. That's kind of yeah. what I got uh, That's the biggest reason I have my Onyx, and it can do a host of things far and beyond that that are beneficial to you. But uh, – 
as you know, I'm the dad here, so I'm 55 <laughs> years old. I wander around the woods looking at the moon and the stars and the sun and the wind and the trees. And, and it's pull, been pretty and, effective, though. And pull a compass out. You know? yeah. <laughs> and my, I do carry a compass because, you know, your electronics are never guaranteed. Correct. And, and I am know, good and, with a and compass. I've, I've lost GPSs. But, you know, I've been 12 miles from camp, you know, in heavy timber and pockets. stuff. <laughs> and, and the GPS is gone. You yeah. know, and it's like, now what are you doing? You know, people start getting jumpy. Well, how are we going to get back to camp without a GPS? It's like, well, let's see. We've been on this ball of mud for how many tens of thousands of years, and GPS we, po- we populated <laughs> the whole damn thing without a GPS. So <laughs> yeah. I think we can figure our way back if we apply some common sense. Yeah. But uh, so, so Whitey could yeah, probably said, give we'll you a little more insight onto here. the electronic end of things. Yeah, no, we've I've used Onyx for quite a few years now, and where I started using it was out in Nebraska because we had basically all we had out there was a paper map of the uh, state park we were in or was it state or national we were in state yeah we were out in Nebraska the Pine Ridge National or State Forest sorry um, and we started using Onyx out there because out there they take the property lines pretty seriously and if pretty much everything out there is fenced. But a lot of the fences that you cross, you're still staying in the state park so or state forest. So you're allowed to cross them. But sometimes the fences that you're going to cross, you're going to go on to private property. So that's where we basically started using Onyx was just for those property lines. And that's pretty much all I use it for now. I mean, I do mark some waypoints and lay tracks and stuff. I do like the laying tracks with them just to keep track of how far you walk in a day just for fun. But... I think that's the most important thing that it does is it keeps you out of trouble as far as property lines go. And that's what I use it for 99% of the time. And, and the guys that uh, developed Onyx and are working for them have actually said that uh, they're, those property lines are within 15 feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're... Yeah, they're pretty accurate. I listened to a breakdown on how they do that. They go to like every county of every state and go like through the, their records. And that's how they're getting those lines. Correct. Um, so it's... And that's why it takes basically a year to update where they basically start on one side of the country or I'm not sure how they pick it. But basically that's their full-time deal is contacting counties all over the country um, and getting those property lines over and over and over again just yeah. to make sure that they're up to date. It really is a nice app. And, I th- and if I'm not mistaken, you can take like screenshots and maps. Well, now so you can do – it's called going offline with mm-hmm. it and you download – anywhere from like a five mile to a 25 mile map. And yes. if you go to a five mile, it's your best resolution. Yep. Um, but that way your phone literally does turn into a GPS. You have, mm-hmm. I mean, for around here, five miles is plenty. In yeah. Alaska, yeah. that's not, right. I don't think. No. Um, but you're not really concerned with the resolution. You're just trying to get to point A to B and Correct. back to A, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but that's a really cool feature that you can turn your phone onto airplane mode and your GPS still works it tracks everything you can put marks on the mm-hmm. map and then when you get back to online it'll download all those points you picked mm-hmm. onto the live map which yeah. is really useful yeah no and then I, like i said even though i'm a little old school on that kind of stuff and uh i'm slow to change i can see huge advantages in that type of yeah, technology. compass will never show you a property line no and that's yeah. what's really no, nice no, like won't. you said that's probably the biggest thing that onyx has for them is that they have every property line yes. in the 50 states yep. mm-hmm. well and they'll show trails Oh yeah, on there parking you know, stuff areas, like, you know, stuff access like that. correct, different access zones and stuff like that. So, no, I like you said, even though I'm not uh, not all big into the electronics and stuff of the the hunting world, I do see a 
huge advantage to having that stuff and, and being familiar with it. Yeah, I would definitely say if you're going on a DIY hunt, it's a huge yes. tool to have in your pocket if you're going to plan something. I think it's yes. well worth the – it's like 99 bucks a year for, for all, all 50, 50 states. states. For all, yeah, for all yeah. – so, I mean, it's – Small investment when you look at the money you spend hunting yeah. over the years. And it's yeah. only, and it's, I think it's yeah. $30 if you're going for one state. So, like, if you knew that you were never going to go to another state, you could yeah. pay it for 30 bucks a year. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you see what people spend on other gear for hunting. Correct. To me, $100 is a yeah. very for something that's per, a lot more useful than yeah, the newest sure. camo or whatever. Yeah, exactly. like, and there's so many different things you can spend your money on in the hunting industry. All right. sorts of accessories and whatnot. Um, so I think, although Onyx, it could mean the difference between two bottles of whiskey and that's and, true, and a really cool app. I mean, yeah. sometimes you got to put things into perspective. Priorities, right? Yeah. Prioritize. You know, you need something to celebrate look, when you look get that back most at that. Of look back at that list that your outfitter sent you. What do I really need here? <laughs> I don't think very many of them don't put whiskey on that list. No, I've yet to see whiskey put on the list yet. <laughs> But you'd be surprised how much of it comes into camp. (laughs) I think I'd want a nice bottle of whiskey for celebration. I mean, I I think if I was spending the money on or a moose hunter or any hunt, really, I'm not there to drink. But once it's over. I saw a small pallet of booze come in one time. Holy mackerel. For four hunters. It was like a three foot, nah, maybe a 30 inch by 30 inch pallet that had (laughs) cases and cases of wine cases of whiskey cases of beer it was stacked up so they were just doing tall. an outdoor drinking party oh, they, they got off the plane on the gravel bar and i'm looking at them i'm going guys if you all you wanted to do is come up here and get drunk we could have stayed in anchorage for a lot less money mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and, and and in the end it all stayed in camp yeah they, so they, you guys they, were set no. <laughs> no, they, they, no we gave it away i mean to you the know, next locals and, well, you, I know, you guys don't Probably aren't even I, I, don't, to drink. I don't drink in camp. I mean, if, if someone shoots a moose, they want to do a bear or something. Or something. They, yeah, they want to have a celebratory drink. I'll have a drink with you, but uh, I, I don't drink when we're hunting. Then that's kind of how I feel. Like yeah. if you're going to spend that kind of money, I'd want to stay on my top of my game for the hunt. But I totally yes. understand and probably would do the same if I got one. I'd want to celebrate a little bit. No, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not. I'm not down on drinking. I just time and a place for everything. Yeah. And use your head. So, I want to go back to that Onyx app real quick. I know we talked about how useful it is, you know, once you get out to your DIY hunt, knowing property lines and everything. But I think it can really help picking a spot to do your DIY hunt. I think that's something that's important to cover. You have to do your research, you know, on where you're going to go. In this Onyx app, it has like terrain and fields and population. It has like how many people are in that area, too, which can help like mm-hmm. if you're going to a heavily populated area you might want to venture a lot, lot more competition yeah. for the game you're chasing. that's a good point tom yep. yeah so i mean you can go on this app and you know if you're hunting whitetail you're going to look for like a food source it'll tell you if there's you know agricultural fields it'll tell you if there's woods if there's ravines creek bottoms it'll literally tell you everything you really need to know as far as terrain and i know you guys used it a lot you guys spent hours studying maps and stuff before you went out on your ohio hunt yeah well and even in live time when we went into ohio i was driving and frank the entire time was on on x yeah and same when when we went to maryland on our turkey hunt last year i was the whole time we were driving there the five and a half hour trip there and every day when we were sitting in camp just idle you know between hunts I was just looking at maps, looking at different things that 
look intriguing to go well, yeah, find birds. Turkey hunts are chal- or easy to do that because you can only hunt till noon. Mm-hmm. And now you've got all this time where you can be looking for new areas and whatnot. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for planning a DIY hunt is doing as much, I don't want to call it scouting, but as virtual much scouting. virtual scouting, yeah, homework, mm-hmm. before you actually go to hunt. Because yeah. when you're booking with a guided hunt, they've done the research. They know, well, if, if you've picked a reputable outfitter, they should know you know where the animals are, how they're moving and everything. Shouldn't be their first time to that area. Yeah, they either. should be pretty well experienced. But yeah. if you're doing a DIY, you need to take the initiative to do that homework and yeah find. something that a, an outfitter took you know 10 years to learn you got to figure out as much as you can in the couple weeks leading up to your hunt mm-hmm. to prepare yourself for that sort of thing which is another thing doing a DIY hunt you have to decide what your you know goal is because you I and mean be realistic as well not to say that it's impossible but like if you're doing a DIY hunt you know I w- I, you shouldn't expect to go out there and shoot a 160, 170-inch whitetail. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of classify what you think is a trophy. So, I mean, I know you guys spent a lot of time out in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, you guys really aren't out there chasing the, the big one. If you don't, like. Yeah, and they're around where we're at in Nebraska. But it's like he, you were saying with population, you know, if you were hunting an insanely hunted chunk of ground – the deer are only going to be so big and you know every once in a while you'll get that you know exceptional buck running through there gets bumped off of the private property that's bordering it but for the most part when you're hunting those chunks of public land the size of the deer is generally going to shrink so you have to evaluate that and what you're looking for if you want to go shoot 180 inch deer you'd probably be better suited getting a fully guided hunt right that's just something you got to look into you got to classify like before you pick what kind of hunt you got to do, you kind of got to classify what you what your goal is, what your outcome is. If you're looking to have a good time with your buddies and in, enjoy hunting, DIY all day. Yeah, DIY is definitely the route to go. But if you're after, you know, your Boone and Crockett buck or something like that, mm-hmm. I think a fully guided hunt might be better suited for you. Well, and on that DIY hunt, <clears throat> DIY hunt, don't uh, don't forget to make some phone calls and some contacts about the area you're going to go to. I mean, speak with the local uh, fishing game out in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, if by any chance you, you know people that live close by, maybe it's residents, old friends from school that live in the area, make some phone calls, talk to those people, you know, and, and get some insight to the area that you're going to, you know, rather than just sit and stick your nose in a map on a, you know, in a book or on an app or something, if you can make some one-on-one contacts with people, they can give you some guidance to help send you in a direction, do that. Mm-hmm. And then once you get there, try to make contacts with locals. Yeah. We, like if we you did can, out in Nebraska, we just go to the bars and we do it in Maryland. Just, the old briar patch. Yeah. <laughs> just go to the local bars and talk to people. Yeah. Get, meet some of those people. And it's, and it's not that everybody you talk to is going to say, Oh yeah, come on to my farm and, you know, shoot most it up of them and do probably this. won't. <laughs> you know, no, but but they might be able to give you some good guidance on places. Yeah. You know, that's open to the public, that is a little overlooked, or and, people that they know that would let you correct, on their property. You know, exactly. You know, so don't you know, don't be uh, you know, don't don't be a 
shut-in when you get out there. Try to meet some of the local people. Open yourself up and, and uh, talk to people and find out what's what's out there. The one guy we met out in Nebraska, whatever the last, two years ago was when the last time we went, uh, we were actually out hunting one day, and we were close to a property line from uh, close to some private property, and the one guy we were with was making a joke. He's like, oh, yeah, if we go over there, just, oh, yeah, we're Uncle Ned's kids, you know, <laughs> if, whoever. You know, he was, like, looking at Onyx, you know, seeing who the property owner was. He's like, oh, yeah, we're just, you know, this person's kids or whatever, just making a joke. And we went to the bar that night, and we were sitting there having dinner, and uh, the one guy we were with bought someone at the bar a drink, and he came over and sat down and was bullshitting with us and having a drink and he was like yeah my one buddy uh, he's he owns a farm over on you know this road and he's like if you go talk to him he'll probably let you and as we're sitting there talking about it the same guy that made the joke earlier pulls out onyx and he's looking around at you know the rough area that the guy said and he's like what'd you say his name was and he said it and it was the guy that he was making the joke about <laughs> earlier sneaking on his property so here we were hunting right next to a piece of property that there was an outside chance to knock on the door and he'd let yeah might have gotten you on now it might not i mean a lot of times people tell you no and it's not that they don't want hunters it's just they've already got people hunting yeah, yeah. you know so but uh you know, the one farmer we talked to that did give us permission, we spent, what, an hour and a half talking to him Wait, about we, his tractors? Yeah, we killed a good <laughs> chunk of the day just talking about antique tractors with him because yeah. my brother-in-law owns some old John Deere's, and this but guy it, it had But it was a fun know, afternoon of conversation. Yeah, I mean, and you got that connection for if you guys go back. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. but it was just cool to sit and talk to somebody. So, you know, make those connections. You'll be surprised the doors that... Yeah, it was worth losing a little bit of hunting time to make the contact. Yes. Yeah. When we were in Maryland, me and Keith were talking to a guy at the Briar Patch, um, and he had no interest in turkey hunting, but mm-hmm. was a big time deer hunter. So he had no problem spilling all kinds of turkey knowledge. Right. <laughs> and so me and Keith were talking to him, and he actually put us on a pretty couple pretty good birds um, where we weren't even close to because the one actually the road was closed, mm-hmm. and we you know further found out that you know the road's closed, but it's still accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went in there. But uh, he ended up pissing off another guy at the bar because he's like, "Well, I turkey hunt, so you could shut up." <laughs> yeah, he's but he was very welcoming. Was to like, help oh, us. "Why yeah. don't you shut the hell up down there?" Because <laughs> he's like, well, "I don't turkey hunt. I'll tell you everything you need to know." So me and Keith are just eating it up. Yeah. Um, no. and, and, yeah, those, so and those are the kind of things you'll run into. You spend a little time. Some guy know, that only cares in about town, meet, ducks. meeting some of the local people and and uh, striking up some friendships and and you might find that you know. The, Year one, you're out there, and, you know, the guy doesn't have room for you on his farm. But, you know, the third year you come out and you had dinner with him again, all of a sudden he's like, you know, why don't you guys come over? And I got a bunch of does I need shot off of my farm. Why don't you come over and clean some of them up for me? Mm-hmm. You know, and then the next thing you know, you start building friendships. Yeah, and, like uh, it's a place you go. Like right. we used to go to Nebraska every single year. I yeah. think that's uh, advantageous for – if you're going to do those DIY hunts, maybe hit the same area a few times and you can build those connections, like you said, instead well, of picking and you're going to learn different more. states every, time, every, every time year. Every time you go someplace, even if you're hunting a piece of public ground, the very first time you see it, it's tough to have it figured out. That was know? Maryland for us. It was kind of an eye-opener. You, <laughs> Yes. You, you drove in, and we actually camped in the middle of the state forest. Mm-hmm. But it was like, you've got... There was way too much ground to try and cover in the four or five days we were there. So we, mm-hmm. we sectioned off a couple hundred acres each like that we're like this is what we're going to cover while we're here Mm -hmm. we're going to try and learn this for following years and we got on birds pretty much every day uh we didn't kill anything but 
we plan to you go had back. Action. It's all right. And you, yeah, you learned had, something. Yeah. So yes. now when we go back, it's like, well, we can pick up where we left off. Where Correct. It, t- it took us a couple of days to learn some things. And I mm-hmm. feel like if we had a few more days, which I'm sure every hunter feels that way. If I just had one more day, yep. yeah. I could have done <laughs> that's, but, that's what keeps you going yeah, that's back. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's what keeps you going back. So, but uh, yeah, so make, make those, make those connections and go back to the same areas and, and, uh, and keep learning. Yeah. One thing I'd like to talk about though, guys, if you don't mind me directing the thing for a second. Please take over. You uh, run this show. It's your <laughs> podcast. Here, we'll switch seats real quick. <laughs> but we, we've talked about, you know, what to expect with an outfitter a little bit and things to do with D, DYIs and uh, stuff like that. But uh, we kind of skipped over picking an outfitter. Yeah, that's true. You know, you're, you want to go do an outfitted hunt or a semi-guided hunt, you know. Uh, where do you start? Mm-hmm. You know, if you if it's something you've never done before, you know how how do you go? How are you going to go pick out this this guy? Because the long and the short of it is, you we'll just take uh, the Harrisburg show that we were at here, you know, six weeks a month ago, whatever. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of outfitters down there, and they've That's all, an understatement. That, and, yeah. <laughs> right, and, and they've all got trophy animals hanging on the walls. They all got pictures. And of they're all the best world class animals, and you know everybody's got some way of telling you that they've got a hundred percent success rate somehow they're going to put some kind of spin on it that everybody had a chance to kill you know this boon and crockett animal and i think we all know that that's not a realistic mm-hmm. unless they have a fence around the perimeter where you're Correct. hunting <laughs> right if it's if it's a true uh, if there's preserve chase, anywhere in the name <laughs> fair chase hunt you know you're, you're probably not going to go and kill a 160 class whitetail every year mm-hmm. you know uh, but, uh, so if you're someone going out for the first time looking for that, you know, what kind of things do you, do you need to be aware of? And, uh, you know, my advice there would be is quit looking at pictures of animals. Yeah. I feel like that's the biggest thing people it's, look at it, is pictures. And it is, you know, they all want to see marketing around. Outfitter. They all want to see pictures of animals. They all want to hear about the success rates, you know, and like I said, that success rate can have a lot of spins to it you know some of the some of the guys out there will, you know well it's not my fault you missed you yeah, know? And, that's, and that's very true it's not i mean if a client pulls the trigger it misses an animal that's not on the outfitter yeah but they could be you know? talking about the shot that they gave them that was a 500 yard shot and they told them they had to be prepared for 300 correct you know you know so you know what one of the first bits of advice i'm going to offer you there is quit looking at pictures of the animals i think this is actually probably a good write it in pen what you're getting at <laughs> and uh, just not, a little not, pre-writing not, yeah, pen. Yeah, just, but, pre, uh, yeah, pre-pen. Look for the pictures of the equipment. Look yeah. at the pictures of what you're going to be staying in. You know, and when, uh, you know, people always say, well, ask for references. Okay. So I'm an outfitter. And I had uh, 10 guys in camp last year. And three of them killed moose. And three of them saw a moose. And four of them didn't have any any luck seeing moose well who do you think i'm going to give you references for the three that killed, killed moose, moose. <laughs> yeah know? so those are extremely biased probably C- as correct. well you know so you know asked yeah they could have had a terrible hunt with, other than killing an animal yes ask to speak with some of the unsuccessful people ask to see pictures of the equipment that you're you know if i'm doing a river hunt for moose well, what kind of boat am i going to be in you know can i let me see 
see what what you're running up and down. So you could ask about like brands and stuff. Is that what you're getting well, at, or just see I, the quality the of the quality of it? You know, is it well kept? Is it well taken care of? You know, what? You, you, I, I, okay, I know we're staying in tents. Well, tent is a pretty broad statement. Yeah, yeah. it could be a blue tarp over a rope. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tent. <laughs> you know, so so ask to see that stuff. Is your tent laying in a uh, a mud bath of moss and root mm. balls and and crap? Is and, it up on a platform? Or is it up on a wooden platform? You know, or you, is there a wood stove? Is there a wood stove in it? Is there heat? Do I have a way of getting my clothes dry? You know, uh, what kind of gear do we have to cook our meals on? You know, are we working off of, uh, you know, a little single burner stove to boil water to eat mountain houses, and which is fine if that's what you were told you were getting up front. Yeah, if that's what you're you expecting. Know, you know, if, if I'm doing a sheep hunt or a goat hunt, I might be expecting just that, you know, mm-hmm. and that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. But but make sure that, you know, when you when you look at these things and ask these questions, that it fits what your expectations of the hunt is that you're looking for, you know. Uh, sometimes you're in an area that's so remote, you can't have all those luxuries. But make sure you realize that going in. Make sure your outfitter is up front with you that, listen, I'm going to take you someplace that, you know, we're going to have greater than average success rates of actually killing animals and taking them home. But you're going to have to sacrifice a little comfort, a little bit of comfort. You know, you're going to sleep on a cot that's sitting on the ground. You know, you're not going to have a wooden platform underneath you. Uh you know, or, or maybe you're going to be eating mountain houses for three or four days, uh, you know, off of that single burner stove, you know. So just make sure that you're asking the questions that are going to inform Prepare you, you the, for the, the hunt attitude. that you want. Yeah. Yes. You know, if you're, if you're the guy that wants the most rugged, toughest, difficult hunt just to have a chance that, at something that nobody else does, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you can find a guy that... Uh, can offer that to you great but if you're a guy that needs to have some running water in camp you need to be able to take a shower every day uh you know rivers you, right over there <laughs> that could be and I've, I've played that game you know that's you, you take a shower every day you want to climb into that river the water's a balmy 45 degrees this time of year <laughs> dive right in you know probably only takes about yeah. one shower for them to realize that yep. so so spend less time looking at animal pictures and more time looking at camp pictures talking with past clients both successful and unsuccessful and if you can uh try to talk to the guides you know you're you're writing a check for 10 15 25 30 thousand dollars who knows depending on the hunt you're doing to an outfitter who probably isn't the guy that's going to be with you in the field maybe in camp but not going to be yours handheld guide try to talk to that guide you know most most reputable outfitters have a core group of guides to come back year after year after year and work with them you know when i was first started going up there the first guy i ever worked with i ended up working with him for 20 years you know and i worked with some other guys in between here and there but was with one guy for damn near 20 years and we saw the same guides you know come back to camp every year so we would quite often get calls from clients that were going to come up saying, hey, you know, I talked to so-and-so and he worked with you last year and, you know, he was really happy with his hunt and I'd like you to be my guide if you'd be my guide. And, you know, a lot of times the guide can't make that promise. It's on the outfitter to assign people. But if you can talk to those people that are working the camps year in and year out, uh, 
you can get some really good insight there to make sure that the hunt is going to meet your expectations. You know? So when you're like going around to those booths and everything, that's perfectly acceptable to ask for like past client Absolutely. contacts and stuff. Absolutely. A lot of people put it in their brochures for like phone numbers of mm-hmm. past clients because they'll ask the clients afterwards, like, Hey, do you mind if I use you as a reference? Okay. For Cause like, I haven't, call. I haven't done a full guided hunt yet. The only hunts I've done mm-hmm. have been like the yeah. DIY style. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize you couldn't, I mean, that's a it, good point it, because you want to talk to the guys the, that are you're unsuccessful. You're the one that's spending the money. You should ask every question you can and get specific with them. Like I said, too many people focus on the animal and they forget about what goes into getting it. You know, the, the first guy that I worked with up there had some of the best success rates of any outfitter in the state of Alaska when it came to uh, moose hunting. And, uh, and for a lot of people, we offered a really cushy camp. But for some people, it was still more rugged than what they wanted, you know. So, you know, and we had wood floors and canvas tents and, you know, wood stoves in every tent. And, you know, we had a cook tent. I mean, we had extra boats in camp. So if a boat broke down, you weren't stranded on the beach. You know, there's, there's a perfect example of a question. You know, okay, so we're doing a river hunt with boats. How many extra boats do you have in camp and motors? Yeah, so are if, we going to lose a day or two of hunting right, trying to fix this boat? Right, my boat breaks down, you know, through no fault of anybody's, you know, mechanical items break yeah they break do you have extra boats at camp so that if one goes down we lose a half a day getting another boat in or am i sitting on the beach hunting out of camp for the next four days you know those those are things you want that's a really valid point you know so that's what you know look at ask to see the equipment you know talk about the equipment that they have what they're offering and stuff Uh, you know if, if food's important to you uh ask what kind of meals they're going to have ask is there a camp cook you know uh, mm-hmm. and if so ask to talk to the camp cook what kind of meals do you usually cook in camp you know what what uh, happens you know you're going to spend the money don't be afraid to ask questions yeah, yeah when and you're spending that specific, much money specific it, questions yeah no question is rude at that point Correct. you're not overstepping you know, when you're spending all that money yep and uh and when you're talking about success rates you know be blunt say listen i I don't want to hear about shot opportunity i don't want to hear about how many animals how many guys went home with an animal with what they wanted with what they wanted with how many you had 10 moose hunters last year how many of them went home with a moose you know and just because that number might let's say that number's three that doesn't mean seven people got cheated that Mm -hmm. means three people were fortunate enough to kill moose Seven mm-hmm. people had other experiences that may have been just as good that just didn't end in them getting a moose, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, just because someone's not successful doesn't mean it was a bad hunt. It doesn't mean they were cheated out of anything. You know, if it's a true fair chase hunt, uh, there's no guarantees. You know, I've, I try to quantify that with people sometimes at the shows when I ask them. I said, I'll tell you what, you're a whitetail hunter. You know, most people... Just about any place you go in the country, you can yeah, find everybody. Everybody hunts hunter. whitetails. If I came out to your house for a week, could you at your house? Could you guarantee me a one fifty class whitetail? Absolutely not. Why not? <laughs> I can't even do it myself. <laughs> oh, oh, really? <laughs> but yet, when someone flies to Alaska and is hunting millions of acres of ground, traveling fifteen miles in any direction in a boat, chasing. A moose that has to be 50 inches wide. or Yeah, you're talking a good moose. And and now all of a sudden they want to know, why can't you guarantee me a moose? 
mm-hmm. in this one season, this little window yeah. of time. Why can't you guarantee me? I'd be hard-pressed to even guarantee you a sighting of a deer in a week <laughs> sometimes. I mean, I, I've got a pretty good odds that yes. I could get you on yes. seeing a deer. I'm not saying buck or yep. doe, just a yes. deer. But I I don't think I could, you know, right. say so I, I wouldn't guarantee I will, someone a Pope and Young deer. You know, I've I seen couldn't po- I couldn't, Pope yeah. and Youngs, but right. I'm I mean, not going to guarantee someone else one. Yeah, there, there aren't too many people that can tell you they go out on fair chase hunts and shoot 150 class whitetails every year. Yeah. And it, let alone in a one week period. Yeah. It takes them all season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and most of the ones that do are doing a lot of traveling. They're hunting multiple States. They've mm-hmm. got more time to hunt than most of yeah, us. They don't really work much during the hunting season. That's Correct. what I've seen. Right. The they, guys they, that are killing have, multiple bucks a year. Yes. They have positioned themselves with uh, through success at work or whatever so that they have months of hunting at their disposal every year and then even them will take weeks sometimes trying to kill the whitetail they want and it might not even be a might still only be a 125 or 130 class animal depending on where they're at Mm -hmm. so so i don't want to sound like i'm bashing guides because you know i've worked for quite a few of them. (laughs) you are one (laughs) no but and, and i i do believe that most outfitters are honest, reputable outfitters. You know, there's there's no advantage to any outfitter to cheat you when you come up there. Yeah. You know, if he has any desire to stay in business, he has got to do the best job he can. And give you the best and experience. And give you the best experience he can. And I do believe that, for the most part, the vast majority of them fall into that category. And I feel like yeah. the ones that are spending the money at the shows to put it, because the booths aren't free. No. You know, I think the guys that are spending the money to be at those shows probably are pretty reputable guys yes. that, like you said, that yes. and they have they, your... And they're probably going to be at that show again next year. You know? Well, yeah, you've seen, you a lot yeah. of times end up across from the same guy you were the year before. Yes. And you know? be like, hey, hey so, how are you doing? How was your season? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. So if, if they were cheating people... You know, they how, long, keep how long do you think up? they're going to keep showing up at that show before people are having a lynch mob for them, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, but uh, I think uh, probably the biggest thing I'm trying to relay here is that make sure that the hunt, your hunt expectations meet the standards of what someone is selling. You know, it's yeah. not that what they're selling is cheating you, but maybe they're giving you the best possible hunt for the area that they are in. You know, it's remoteness. It's or what's uh, tailored to you, like you were correct. saying for like physical limitations and stuff. These yes. two outfitters might offer the exact same hunt, but this one is more tailored to your hunting style. Correct. So therefore, you're going to end up having yes. a better hunt in general, even yes. though the hunts are exactly the same supposedly. Yep. Yeah, you're you just getting might a better, make a better hunt personal for you. connection with somebody. Well, yeah. Even on you like know? a more uh, hard-lined difference, like looking at black bear hunts, mm-hmm. you've got guys that do bait fair chase or hunting with dogs mm-hmm. if, if you didn't ask those kind of questions you're just looking for a black bear hunt and you thought you were going to be sitting in a tree stand and next thing you know you're loading up in the back of a truck with dogs you're going to be like well what the hell is this yes. it's like you said you got to ask the right questions make sure that yes. the hunt you are buying is what you are expecting what you are expecting correct and i said that's a very like hard lined mm-hmm. but it gets no, but the it same is. for and, and i think that's where other a lot hunts. of times where people that feel as though they were misled or cheated or deceived they, they really didn't ask the right questions going in quite often, you know, mm-hmm. so don't... Yeah, because the outfitter knows what he offers, so he doesn't necessarily know every little thing to tell you that right. you have in mind. Mm-hmm. You might have one thing in mind, and you came to him, so he figures, okay, 
you know, I'll tell you what, you know, the basis of this hunt is, but you didn't get every little detail out of them because you didn't ask the, the right questions. questions. Correct. You know, and if, you know, he has 10 elk hunters and five of them shoot elk and three of them missed elk, you know, maybe you want to talk to the three that missed, you know, because like I said, he's going to tell you, you know, I was 80% as far as I'm concerned. I can't help it. Those three guys missed. And you talk to those three guys and, you know, two of them look at you and go, yeah, it was 40 yards. I got excited and threw one right over his back. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that happens. <laughs> all right. Sounds to me like the outfitter did his job. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. You know, the other guy, tell you, he took a shot and maybe it was a reload bullet and it didn't work. Something didn't function right. Okay. The outfitter did his job. Maybe one of the three will tell you, yeah, I missed, but it was really, it was a 200 yard shot, which is beyond my capabilities. And, you know, he wanted me to shoot and I tried and missed and stuff. So, you know, maybe that one's a little different. You know, if you're going on an elk hunt, maybe you should be prepared to shoot 200 yards. I think yeah. most but of the ones I've seen are three. Yeah, I think 300 right. is the minimum you know, usually. But, but some people can't. Yeah. It, you know, and, know your and own limitations. Know your own limitations, you know. So, but those are the, you really need to talk to those people that are in the middle. You know, the guy that come home with a 400-inch elk. He's going to tell you he's the best tell you story the ever. the greatest thing. You know, and I've kind of always joked. I said, you know, you could take a guy on the worst hunt in the world. Yeah, treat him yeah, like uh, shit the whole treat time. Treat him like shit the whole time. If he kills himself a, a 425-inch elk, it's going to be the greatest hunt he ever went on. Yeah. At the same time, you could take, you know, some guys on the hunt and, and wipe their ass for them every time and, and cater to their every need and uh, show them 27 moose. And if one just wasn't big enough for him. He's going to say he, there's no good bulls right yeah, now. There's no good bulls. He cheated me. He lied. He said I was going to do this or I was going to. It's like, yeah, you, you got to put it into perspective sometimes. You need to talk to a variety of people. So, Yeah, that's definitely the biggest thing is just talking to other people. And with the whole DIY thing, a buddy of mine was talking to me about going to Nebraska. And he, you know, we were just talking about it, you know, out of the blue. He brought it up. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I've hunted Nebraska. So I'll go over some maps with you, places that I've hunted, because in mm-hmm. Nebraska, like where we were at, that's 97% of the public land is in, in Nebraska is right where mm-hmm. we were at. So I was like, odds are you're going to be where I was. So mm-hmm. even though he had no idea I had already been in that spot, yep. he, you know, he was talking to me about it, so I brought him the knowledge that I had. You know, here's all my maps. Here's everything that I marked on Onyx. Mm-hmm. You know, go to these spots where I had success. So You can even, speaking of Onyx, you can share points on onyx too mm-hmm. with your buddies you can basically the points you have on your phone you could share to your buddy mm-hmm. so for things like that or if you're hunting in groups same thing yeah. so that's just another advantage yeah uh, to so onyx. literally you know people that you know talking we're in pennsylvania talking about hunting nebraska people that you know right around here some of them may have hunted out there so there's quite a few people them. around here who hunted out yeah there, exactly yeah. and it's the same way anywhere you yeah. know do just talk net, to the people that you know network. that you hunt with people that hunt Hunt all over the place yes. most of the time. Mm-hmm. So if you talk to those people, odds are you're going to find somebody that has been where you want to go, and they can offer you some knowledge towards it. Yes. Even if you know it's a little bit, it's more than nothing. D- DIY doesn't mean you have to do it blind. Mm-hmm. You know, every little scrap of information you can get. You know, uh, you know, in today's world of social media. Yeah. You know, information. There's groups there. for every state. Yes. Like I'm a, like for Pennsylvania, there's hunting Pennsylvania. There's hunting New York, hunting Ohio. Like right. you can join yep. Facebook groups that are just for yeah. hunting talk, talk a certain to, state. Talk to people in the you know Turkey Federation, the Elk 
Foundation, you'll talk to these different groups. You'll find most of them are willing to try to help you out if you tell them where you want to go, yeah. what you're doing. Well, I mean, because there was a point in their life where they didn't know anything, and they probably talked to somebody else. Nobody and, is born with all that knowledge. Yeah, you learn exactly it over right. time. <laughs> you learn it over time. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to reach out to, like you said, these these hunting groups are in every state. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. You, you might find you meet somebody that turns into a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden you're going out there. Yeah. Four years from now, not even so much to hunt, but to, Just to, to see, see this person you've met. Or you're planting hunts in some other some state other with, with that, that guy. Person. Yeah. With that person, correct. So. That's how my grandpa did a lot of his hunts. Uh, because back then, there there wasn't any internet for those groups. There wasn't, I mean, they didn't have GPSs either. Mm-hmm. Um, but your only contacts were those trade shows and the guys you ended up on those hunts with. Because like when yep. you go to camp uh, in Alaska... You didn't, oh, everybody's been in other camps. Everybody's been yeah, on other Yeah, so hunts. it was a network like that. And for yep. my grandpa even, he got his sheep hunt was like a gift to him because he helped out his guide on an elk hunt. His guide actually got like food poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up staying up there an extra like, what, 10 days or something with the guy like past what his hunt was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And he was like, once they got back and everything, he called him like two weeks later and he's like, hey, I got you a hunt down in New Mexico for sheep. Like, Go. Yep. And so like, that, that was just, it's like a network thing. The people in the outdoor industry are great guys for yep. the vast majority and, and of them. And that kind of stuff is still, even with the social media today and the internet and stuff, that stuff still happens in camp. Mm-hmm. You know, guys in camp are still talking about other places they've been, good experiences they've had, bad experiences they've had. And, uh, and that knowledge is just invaluable, mm-hmm. you know, because even, even after like the, these people have hunted places, and they might come away a little sore. Things didn't go quite the way they wanted. But then after a year's time goes by and they start looking back at that experience and maybe they've been on a couple other hunts and they've got more things to judge that hunt on, they aren't quite as sore as they used to be. They, they look at it with a little more... A little more experience, experience and say, okay, exactly. you know, maybe it wasn't you know, what I thought. Yeah, it wasn't. maybe that wasn't quite as bad as I thought. That guy really did kind of go out of his way here and there, and, and I was just a little bummed I didn't get something. And uh, But like I said, I, I do believe that the vast majority of outfitters out there, you know, they do have your best interest at heart. You know, mm-hmm. Sometimes people, you know, they get in camp and they start questioning, why do you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Well, because that's what's worked for us. Because <laughs> yeah, I want to get you an animal, you know? that's why. <laughs> we could do this your you way know? if you want, but you did pay for you me know? to help you. <laughs> yeah, and, and, we, and I run into that every year. You know, every year somebody will be like, well, I think we should be doing this, and I think we should be doing that. And I'll usually even give in to them for a day. That's what you were talking about, your you big know? your trip around the, the sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, fine. If that, if it'll make you feel better, we'll do it your way for a day or two. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know I still got four or five days after this, and I know they're the better four or five days. So we'll, we'll give in for a little bit. Let it do it your way, and we'll see what happens. And and at the end of the day, that's going to help them. Exp- oh, their they, experience they usually, is going to be that much better they because start to understand better because you know they want to walk over there two miles. You know, no matter how many times I tell them. I've been over there two miles. There's nothing over there to see, and it's hard to get to, and it's uncomfortable and miserable. It'll be a long day of wasted time. They don't want to believe that because it looks really good, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, that and we've two all, miles and away. We, we've all got it in us. I mean, we all want to see what's over that next hill, what's over yeah. that next hill. Gets you in trouble. And it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but, you know, and that's why I don't get 
necessarily mad at guys that want to do that. And, you know, I try to talk them out of it. Well, I'm but, sure your first trip to Alaska, you probably did feel that. I wonder what's over that next you know, spot. Yeah, we talked the first time I was on the show with Brad and stuff. We talked about our pack from hell. Yeah. yeah. Well, that all started because we all just Went over wanted, the next ridge. We just wanted to keep going. And someone saw something, you know, five miles away that turned out to be ten miles away. And... It wasn't and, even there. <laughs> and it wasn't even there. We stumbled into something else, and it was just a snowball effect into a disaster that turned out to be quite successful and was miserable for three days. Yeah. But, you know, you look back now, and it's kind of funny. And but You laugh uh, about it. And you laugh about it. But would I want to go that route to try to kill a moose every year? Well, hell no. I've killed a lot. You found more. easier tactics. <laughs> yeah. There ways of killing moose. <laughs> you know, that didn't take three days of getting them out afterwards. But, uh so, but yeah, it uh, it's all good out there in the end. Like I said, I do believe that the outfitters want want you to be successful, and sometimes you'll question them. But in the end, there's no advantage to an outfitter taking your money and sending you home cheated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So. Uh, you're definitely right, and the ones that I've talked to, have, I yeah. agree. Um, yeah. Before before we get totally wrapped up here, um, last week on the podcast we had talked about we're doing a giveaway on uh, hats, and obviously if you've participated and you're listening this far i'm hoping you already entered because it's over now um we've selected a winner um and the winner is dan lafuria uh you're selected for our hat giveaway so we'll make a post about it um, but if you hear it on the podcast first give us a message over on instagram I'm or sure Facebook. we'll contact you yeah, we'll, we'll contact him too but i'm saying if he does it before the post um either way uh, we'll let you know and we got a couple different varieties of hats you can pick one out uh, and you can help rep the brand and hopefully put something on the ground with that hat on this year. So, um, also another thing we do before any podcast ends is we do a write it in pen. I know we joked earlier about it and we had a pre pen from uncle Frank, but, um, I guess uncle Frank, you are our guest. So I think we'll hit you with another one. Um, but maybe if you can, I know like your last one that you did was a lot more of a life deal, uh, but maybe if you could gear it towards, um, booking, booking hunts. Them. Yeah. Kind of I, keep I'm, that theme. I'm, I'm going to go back to that, that area that that pre write in ink type thing uh make sure that when you're if you're looking for a fully guided hunt make sure that the questions you ask are tailoring that hunt to your needs and limitations you know and uh and and make sure that there's some kind of personal connection between you and the outfitter, you know, if, if, if you're talking to this guy and he's saying all the right things, but he just doesn't feel like the kind of guy you'd like to yeah, the whole time. With, you're like, this guy's an asshole. You know, I don't like Well, it. not even that. He just doesn't seem mm-hmm. like the, somebody you're going to spend a camp with for a couple spend, weeks. Camp with for two yeah. weeks. You know, maybe your, 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 your daily views on life just don't seem to be lining up too good. You know, uh, maybe he's a bunny hugger or something. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I know. doubt that yeah. if he's an outfitter. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Make, make sure that's, that you're getting some kind of feeling of a personal connection there. That uh, Yeah, it'll make your hunt that, so much better. It seems like, yeah, when you guys are sitting in camp at night and it's, or you get stuck in that tent during a three-day storm that you can't hunt in, Mm-hmm. That he seems like someone you're going to enjoy having a conversation. Make sure he knows a few magic tricks. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. Like I said, make sure you're asking the right questions. Make sure that you're tailoring your your outfitter to the type of hunt you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a good point that I feel a lot of people look over. People only look for 
the animal. They don't look for the time that they're spending. Stop looking at the pictures of the animals. And you'll definitely have a much better hunt if the people you're with feel more like you've been friends with them for a long time. Or you can build a friendship with them as opposed to someone that you're like... Hey, I get he's just taking me on yeah. a hunt. There, there's there's nothing better than at the end of hunting with someone for a week or ten days or two weeks or whatever, that at the end of that hunt you're going, man, we got to get together and hunt. Yeah, or they invite here. you to their place, or they invite you to yeah, someplace else. I mean, th- those are good feelings, you yeah. know. And, and those, and if you're tailoring your hunt when you're looking for that outfitter, that guide, uh, you know, if if if, the, if you feel like that person, someone that's going to go in that direction with you, you're probably looking at the right outfitter. Good deal. Um, like we said, uh, show season's pretty much over now. Well, I mean, there was a few more, but, you know, COVID-19 has blocked all pretty those much other shows. Pretty shut that down. So uh, this is now the time where if you guys are looking at doing hunts out of state, uh, this is when you got to start making those phone calls. Um, so make sure you guys are doing that while we're inside and getting quarantined. Um, but like I said last week, you know, the outdoors are never canceled so make sure you guys while you're isolated you're still getting outside